Amen. Tonight is Wednesday, December 21st, 2016. The title of tonight's message is Shake Off the Dust. Shake off the dust. Come on, everybody, look at your neighbor and say, Shake off the dust. Just turn to your neighbor and do this. Just do, do one of these. Just right there. Just shake it off, right? <laughs> turn to Exodus chapter 14. Too much shaking off the dust. Shake off the dust. Exodus chapter 14. And we're going to start in verse 26. Getting there. We're working on it. We're transitioning to being there. (laughs) Exodus chapter 14 and verse 26 says this. Then the Lord said to Moses... Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. What an incredible thing here. I don't want to say even it's an incredible story. because That makes it sound too false. This is an incredible event that took place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. Uh, I want to show you how this verse, verse 27, reads in the Amplified Bible. Should be the next slide if we can go ahead and, and do that one. Or maybe even the next one. There we go. It says, And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians, and look what it says, and shook them off into the midst of the sea. This idea of shaking something off, we're going to study and we're going to see what the Bible says about shaking things off. How many of you ever had a need need to shake something off? You ever wake up in the morning and what do you do? You splash water on your face just to just to start getting going, right? You get a fog, you got something going on, you got to just uh, renew what's going on inside of you. So you literally just got to shake it off. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians and shook them off into the midst of of the sea. Now you know that this is going to get good when the Lord, the first example of this term in the Bible for shaking something off, it's the Lord doing the shaking off. Amen? Uh, I don't know if you've ever, you know, been out on the playground and you're playing, playing football either, either on, on an official team or just playing out in Sandlot and when you go and the, the adversaries are attacking you, it's something nice when you're running with the ball and you just get to shake them off. Yeah. Like, like you're, not, you're not even enough for me to slow down here. I'm going to just shake you off and keep running in the direction. This is what the Lord is doing here with the enemies that, um, of his people. He shook them off into the midst of the sea. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. You know, Exodus 12, 12 tells us what? That God was bringing judgment on the gods of Egypt. That there are certain heavenly powers that we have to account for. These powers in the heavenly realm. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, a very, very familiar passage. Let's start in verse 10. It says this, Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong. Everybody say, be strong. Be strong. In the Lord. It's not just asking you to do it in and of your own strength. It's saying, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. What simple phrases, right? We, we talk about in our Acts class the illusion of the first time. Let's pretend like you haven't heard this verse 
a thousand times in your life. Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like to you, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. But it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Isn't it great that the Lord is the first one to shake something off? When we're doing this, as we look back to the slides here, what we're doing is we're trying to shake off the dust that accumulates from the, from the powers in the heavenly realms. There was a time period in American history, and it was called the Dust Bowl. It started in the 1930s. What happened is, is that the farming um, um, measures there, it actually, they took away the grass and certain things that actually held the soil together. They decided to replace grass with certain fields because they thought it would be more productive. What happens is the drought started hitting in the 1930s, almost 100 years ago now. They started, and what happened is, is as the droughts took place, those crops weren't enough to keep the soil together, so you had dust. You just had literally storms of dust as if it were in a Sahara desert. What happened is it would blow through. And in people's homes, the homes that were made and they had... Uh, you could see through, everything wasn't as flush as it is today. They had spaces within the walls, within the planks. And what would happen is literally, you would go to bed at night and you'd have to turn all your dishes upside down. But in the morning, your kitchen table would be covered with dust. Your floors would be covered with dust. Your beds covered with dust. Everything that you owned, covered you see these pictures, and you, many of them are very familiar to you from National Geographic and that time period. And you see the people, they're all very sullen. They're very worn down. This, in some places, lasted as much as a decade. People moved, and they were trying to get away, but what they did is they moved right into the Great Depression. They were physically having trouble. They were financially having trouble. But what the people had to learn how to do was they had to learn how to shake off the dust, literally of everything that they owned. Think about that. Actual American history, right? You can go look that up. It's the easiest thing to find in the world. Think about what that means to us, though. And this is the case. We're, just, we're living our lives. We're doing exactly what we need to do. We're going forward. And you know what? There is a natural tendency for us to get covered in dust. That's true. When we're out in the world, when we're talking to the people around us, you know what happens? Even if you're not paying attention to it, you know what happens? You get covered in dust. You start talking to that neighbor. You start talking to that friend at work. You know what happens? You start getting covered and dust. You have to actually pay attention so that you shake the dust off. You have to shake the dust off of you from wherever you may be. Let's take a look at the next slide. We've got to, first of all, shake off the dust from the powers that are in the heavenly realms. Everybody say, shake off the dust. Shake off the dust. That has to be an ongoing thought process. If you don't do something about this, you're covered in dust. Let's take a look at the next slide. Let's turn to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. You know, as we were, uh, as Pastor Matt and I were studying this afternoon for this sermon, I love, love the Lord. I'm going down in order of each of the times that this word for shake off is used in Scripture. For those of you who are in the Acts class, I'm literally taking it in the exact order that the Scripture gives it to us. So we started off in the law in Exodus. The next passage here is in Judges, 
a prophet, verse 16. And let's take a look at verse 18. We're going to continue to walk through it as the word of God lays it out for us. And I think we're going to see something incredible tonight. Judges 16, 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything. (laughs) Told her everything. She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Don't even have time to address that part of this. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair. Of course it's seven braids, isn't it? And so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. (laughs) But he did not know that the Lord had left him. We're shaking off the dust where God is using us to form judgment against the gods of this world. He's using us through his divine power, through his knowledge. He has designed that the church be the vehicle that he's going to make made known his manifold wisdom upon this earth. We're shaking off the dust for the powers in the heavenly realm. We also have to shake off the dust of using our own strength. I cannot tell you how many times the last several weeks, especially, that the Lord has driven this point home to me personally, to us collectively as a church, Just about every conversation that Pastor Eric, Pastor Matt, and I are in that are united, the crux of that conversation is you cannot stand in your own strength. No matter what you do, if you decide that you're going to go this alone, that you're going to try to build this on your own strength, and at some point you're just going to shake yourself free of what's going on, I can assure you, you're asleep in Delilah's lap. You're asleep in the lap of a prostitute. If you think that you are going to do this by your own strength and it work out the way you need to. Guys, I'm saying this because I love you. It is a harsh thing. It hurts when you realize that you've been doing it in your own strength and the Lord reveals that to you. You know how he reveals it to you? He lets you fail. (laughs) He lets your plans come to nothing. All right, great planner. Here you go. And it collapses on you. And you feel embarrassed and you feel ashamed and you feel all kind of things. And what God is trying to do is get your attention. He's trying to, it's trying to act like a goad, right? Good, good King James kind of word. Don't kick against the goads. What is a goad? It's a sharp stick that when you are trying to lead animals, especially somewhere, you would goad them. You would poke them so that they would get moving in the right direction. Sometimes we're looking at things and God is trying to goad us and say, hey, You need to do this. I've already told you what you need to do. You need to get moving. You need to go. The devil's opposing me. No, this is the Lord having a goad in your life. He's trying to get your attention before he has to do something more drastic than that. Before he has to cause all of your strength to fail. Before he has to come and cause all of your resources to be made gone. (laughs) All of your resources gone. All of your intellect. Have you ever been in a place and you're standing there and you're like, I have no idea what to do? Yes. None. Like, not, not a small, not like, I've kind of got an idea. I'm just not sure if it's good or not. I've been in places in my life where I'm going, I have no idea. As a matter of fact, the older I get, the more I thought that that feeling would go away. It's actually the opposite. Y'all are already laughing. You're like, yeah, that didn't happen that way. 
I thought I would know more about the world and be able to have all these predetermined plans. And you know what God said? Yeah, you're not going to be able to live life that way. Because then you start relying on the strength of your own arm. Then I become Samson. I become Samson. I become someone who has lost the actual presence of God because I think I can just, whenever I feel like it, get up, shake myself free. What Samson should have been doing was shaking off the dust in his life. What the dust was doing was it was getting in his eyes where he couldn't see anymore. The dust was filling his ears where he couldn't hear anymore. It was getting in his mouth where he couldn't speak the right words. It actually just put him to sleep. Take, take a look um, in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. <coughs> Hebrews 12.1, and a very familiar passage to us. <coughs> it says, Therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. This is talking about a lot of different things. I, I, I'm going to take it in and... Since I'm the one with the microphone, I'm going to say that, that this has to do with us as a church. Therefore, Amen. since you can look around a room and since you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Boy, sin, that, that is an incredible thing that will always tangle you up. But I'm actually not going to focus on that word. I think we're pretty clear on that as a family of believers here. I'm, I want to focus on the word that hinders, hinders there. That is the word Greek 2139. Do you know that this is the only time that this word is used in the New Testament? And actually, it's the only time that this word is used in the entire Bible. Even in the Septuagint, this is the only use of this word that hinders. Here's what it means. It means something that easily surrounds you that easily encamps itself about you or that easily subjects you to calamity. Wow. Something, let us throw off the things that easily hinder us. Come on, we're family here tonight. I'm not standing up here to try to impress any of you. I love that about being at my church. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to get you to think deeply about this. What are the things that easily surround you? Do you fall prey to the same things over and over again? Do you, do you fall into the same pitfalls and it's like, gosh, man, I should have seen that coming. It so easily gets around me. It so easily gets all over me. It so easily, what we're saying here tonight is that we've got to shake off the dust of these things that easily hinder us. Well, how do we do that? How about we be honest that these things are actually easily surround us? Yeah. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how people fall prey to the same sins over and over again. And they continue to put themselves in places where those sins can occupy their mind. Yeah. Whatever it may be. Let's talk pornography for a second. I, it's amazing to me that people who fall in this area would continue to have phones that give them access to it. Continue to work at jobs that allow them to sit at computers all day. Continue to do things that they easily fall prey. They, it, it surrounds them easily. They, they look up and here they are surrounded again. How in the world? Do you know what your pastors do? We flee. Yeah. We run away. 
We know we don't want to fall prey to this, so we act like we're the weakest people on the planet. Man, if we don't run away, that thing can get us. It's gotten men that are a lot better than us. It's damaged ministries that were far greater than... uh, We're going to run away. I'm going to give my wife every password that I have. I'm going to let her be attached to my phone. She always knows how to get into it. It shows the history. My wife can... You know why? This thing is not going to easily hinder me. It's not going to easily surround me, but I just run away from it. Is your problem that you think you're too strong? We have a weakness, but we think we're this time... This time I'm going to fix it. This time I'm going to overcome it. And you end up right back in the same spot. How about you just say, Lord, I'm completely weak. I have no strength of my own, mighty God. I can't do this. I need you to come in. I'm going to flee from these things. It's so easily. Just round them up, boys. Round them up. Because it'll take you out every time. Unless you do what? Unless you shake off the dust of that thing. You're so used to it. Get, get, a, get a set of clothes on. What happens? You get work. You get work and you just get covered in things. Do you realize it kind of it changes the appearance? Makes everything dingy and dull until what? You start cleaning off and you're like, oh yeah. Wow, I forgot how bright that shirt was. It was so covered in dirt. Those of you going to Mexico, if you don't know this now, you're going to know this over the next few days. Like, hey, look, this is my favorite Christmas time ministry shirt. Bam. You're going to be covered in sweat and mud and grass and nastiness and amen. Yeah. Amen. But you know what you're going to do at the end of the day? You're just going to shake that off. Amen. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at the next slide. We've got to shake off the dust from the powers in the heavenly realm. We've got to shake off the dust that comes from you relying on your own strength. You've got to shake off that dust. You know what else you have to shake off the dust from? Opposition. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. And verse 13. Okay, we got two people there. Here's verse 13. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 13. Youth, are we there? Okay, excellent. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out of his house and possessions every man who does not keep this promise. So may such a man be shaken out and emptied. He's going to shake out the folds of his garment. Um, If you're like me, it can be messy sometime when you eat. You get up and you shake out the folds of your garment. (laughs) You have to tuck your beard inside, right? You shake out the folds of your garment when you get up. Nehemiah is saying, this is what should be done to someone who doesn't keep their word. And I'm going to go back and explain the context of this. But I want you to understand this. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said in this way, may God shake out of his house. Just like I do this to get the crumbs and get the dust off of me, may God do this to every person out of his house of possessions, every man who does not keep this promise. How are you doing at keeping your promises to the Lord? Do you know what the context of this passage here is in Nehemiah 5? I love the book of Nehemiah. There's something that is just so intriguing to me about this book. 
Let's take a look back at a few verses. Let's look at, back at verse 6 in the same chapter. Chapter 5 and verse 6. <clears throat> Nehemiah says, When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. Well, what made him angry? What made him this angry? Nehemiah is absolutely infuriated. I pondered them in my mind and then, and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. What's usury? Interest. Interest. They're loaning money. <laughs> They're loaning food to the poor in their own country. And the word says that they are exacting usury from your own countrymen. Now, wait a minute. I, I don't know about you guys, but I get to certain things in the word and I'm like, I would not have been that upset about that. If, if Baj lends me money and I pay him back and Baj asks for a 5%, here's, here's what it is. I'm gonna, he's going to ask for a usury on money that he let me borrow. Seems fair. Actually, it's not fair at all. Because the Lord had set up very, very strict requirements on His people, especially to those that were poor. Yeah. Come on, guys. We've, we've talked through this before. If you're on Monday nights in Foundation, we went through entire chapters of the Bible where many other people skip over and we're like, why is the Lord telling us about how to handle your slave? Because God cares about it. How, why is God saying things like in Deuteronomy, how you treat a bird that's fallen from a nest? So that you may live long upon the earth is the, is the response. It's a bird. God actually cares about these things. You know why? Because it shows the condition of your heart. It shows if you've shaken off the right kind of things or if you're letting the worldly way of thinking sit upon you. Keep your place here in Nehemiah and turn to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25, we're going to do a mini little law prophet writing within our law prophet writing. Leviticus chapter 25. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 35. Leviticus 25, 35. If one of your countrymen becomes poor and is unable to support himself among you, Help him as you would an alien or a temporary resident so he can continue to live among you. It's important that those of us who are in the family of the Lord be able to continue to live as the family of the Lord. Do not take interest of any kind from him, but fear your God so that, you, so that your countrymen may continue to live among you. You must not lend him money at interest or sell him food at a profit. Why is that not right? Because if someone else is poor and you decide that you're going to make money off of them, hey, they're, they're trying to exist. How you treat that person matters to God. Look in Psalm 15, verse 5. Psalm 15, 5. <clears throat> the entirety of Psalm 15 is, is telling us what a righteous man should be like. Psalm 15, 5 says this. Actually, let's go up back up to verse 1. This is a short, a short psalm, so I'm going to catch it all. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy hill, he whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous. 
the walk that is blameless, the actions that are righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart, has no slander on his tongue, who does, not, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. It's amazing that what we say has a lot to do with this, isn't it? What we say and what we do are so far all the categories that we've seen. Who despises a vile man. (laughs) You're supposed to hate those that are vile. You're supposed to despise them, thus showing that God is in you. But honors those who fear the Lord. Who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Uh Uh-oh. Keeps his oath even when it hurts. Who lends his money without usury without interest, and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Um, One of the reasons I love Psalm 15 is that this list is not so far behind the comprehension of anyone that I've ever spoken to. These are things that we can clearly put before us so that we will never be shaken. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. Let's look at verse 5. Ezekiel 18.5 says this. Suppose. Everybody say suppose. suppose. There is a righteous man who does what is just and right. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or look to the idols of the house of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife. Or lie with a woman during her period. He does not oppress anyone, but returns what he took in pledge for a loan. He does not commit robbery. He gives his food to the hungry and provides clothing for the naked. He does not lend at usury or take excess, excessive interest. He withholds his hand from doing wrong and judges fairly between man and man. As it continues to go on, you're seeing, what about this person? What about this person? And you're seeing uh, the context of this chapter is if a righteous man begins to do unrighteous things, he has to answer for his own sin. If an unrighteous man becomes righteous, these are the steps for him to walk out. Look at verse 13. (laughs) Suppose he has a violent son in verse 10. This righteous man has a violent son. He does all of these terrible things. And verse 13 says, he lends at usury. And takes excessive interest. Why are, we, why are we hitting this into the ground? Because the people in Nehemiah's day should have known better that this is a big deal to God. Yeah. It's a big deal. That the, oppre- the opposition that's there. Anybody ever been opposed when you're trying to do something? You ever heard the phrase friendly fire? You ever been opposed by the people who are supposed to be helping you? You ever been discouraged by the one who was supposed to come up and encourage you? I have. You you ever the one that should have promoted you and launched you forward is the one that's holding you back and tying you down? Okay. We've all been there. We've all understood that. I want you to consider this for a second. Have you ever been the one holding someone else back? saying the words that lacked faith, that were not from the Lord at all, but you just thought something and you felt the need to share it. It's tough to shake something off when it's supposed to come from the ones that are helping you, isn't it? Why do you think the hardest arguments you get in, in the world with are with 
your spouse, with the people that are close, with the people that are in your family. Why? Because you're trying to do this together, and sometimes we forget that life is a full-contact sport here. (laughs) Hey, we're fighting the enemy, but sometimes we get friendly fire even amongst us. We have to learn how to deal with the opposition that's in our lives. We have to learn how to shake these things off. You have to learn how to shake them off, and you have to learn how to shake them off quickly. That's a good word. Um, can I encourage you that, that my wife and I, when we, one of the small parts of that we talk about to people when we're doing marriage counseling, for depending on the couple, is how long it takes you to get over a fight is probably a sign of how healthy you are. Um, something happens, some, somebody says something to you, does it take you a few days to get over it? Does it take you a few weeks to get over it? Are you still remembering that thing on the next big fight that you get around to the next couple of months? Are you still dredging up what should have long since been taken care of? (laughs) Start calling you dusty roads here. (laughs) You're covered in it and you don't know it. You haven't shaken it off. Really, you're going to let that stay. You're going, to, you're going to let that offense just rest on you. And you're going to bring it up every time. You're not healed yet. You haven't dealt with that yet. And you're probably showing that at the very least you're immature, if not unhealthy. What I find in very, very healthy people is they can take opposition. They can take it on the chin. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not saying it's not incredibly difficult. But they seem to be able to take it on the chin Shake it off and keep going forward. I'm going I'm to take this a step, forward, a step further here. I can tell people, you can tell in your own life. Let's, I'm trying to put parameters there. How quickly you get over an argument should be an indication of your health. How quickly you get over offense and opposition is an indicator of how healthy you really are. How much you've really been in the word. How much you're allowing the Lord to renovate your heart. It is an indicator that you can figure out on your own. I'm trying to give you a standard that you can see that you can go, wow, no problem at all. Good night's sleep and it's gone. A couple of minutes, a few hours maybe, we're moving on. Or, I'm still upset about this. <laughs> Some of the Psalms say things like this, why so downcast, O my soul? Do you walk around downcast? Do you, do you walk around just worn out from these things? Here's one of the things that you can tell. If you're being led by your emotions, you know what you say? To what I just said? about no, that, Wait, you're making this too simple. It's not just a sign of health here. This is, but I, I just have to, let my, I have to give my, my emotions time to catch up. Anybody ever heard someone say that? I've got to process my emotions. You know what I hear in that as your pastor? Pastor, I'm being led by my emotions, and so I'll get around to that when I good and well feel like it. Because if you're being led by the Spirit, you know what you do? I'm not saying you feel it. I'm saying your emotions serve you, not you being led by your emotions. You know what you do? You say... The Lord has said, this is the right answer and I will give the right answer with my mouth because I love him and he's watching me. Amen. This is right. Man, that's a good word. 
My emotions are still trailing behind. They're still swirling. I hadn't quite got it all under control. And I'm going, this is still what's right. I know what's right. I'm going to do that. And your emotions are screaming at you. And you go, it's all right. Shush. Shush it. I'm going to shake the dust off of that. And we're going to do what's right, even though my emotions have to get in line. You know what happens to people who learn how to do that? Their emotions start to get in line. You know why? Because we're not just made up of a ball of emotions. Let me talk to another group in the room. But wait, I don't quite understand everything that's going on here. I can't really follow until I understand the methodology. Well, then you're no better than my friends who are getting ruled by their emotions. You're getting ruled by your intellect. Really? God's will depends on how much you can comprehend. Really? Nope. In our day and time, though, we like that one better than the emotional one because the emotion, we kind of add negative thoughts to the emotional side, but we feel completely justified to be overly, I'm going to say pseudo-intellectual because it's not actually the wisdom of God. It's just your own thoughts. Well, I can't, I mean, I don't really understand what Pastor Matt is doing, so I'm, I'm just having a hard time following. Shame on you. Shut up. Do what you're supposed to do. Man, that's a good word. (laughs) (laughs) Shake off the opposition. Just shake it off and get on with what you're supposed to do. And let your emotions catch up. Let your mind catch up. And if when we don't, we just get very, very used to being led by other things than the actual Holy Spirit. We're really, really comfortable with that. And so we make a thousand ways. Guys... uh, how, how, how am I, I, I've lived, I'm living this. This is not something, I'm trying to figure these things out as well. I'm trying to let the Spirit be at work. Hey, you're not happy <laughs> <coughs> You know what I said when I was growing up? I had a, I had a dad that, that I, I love and I treasured while he was here on this earth. And my dad was so emotionally charged that I said, I'm going to default to, be, to have my thoughts rule everything. I let the experiences of my life cause me to go, if I'm going to, I thought this, these exact words in my head that I'm sharing with you. If I'm going to make a mistake, it's going to be here, and then I'm going to think my way through things properly. You know what? One of my gifts is to being able to think things through. But do you see how the enemy even wants to taint that? I determined in my heart at 13 years old, at 15 years old, at 17 years old, that if I was going to make a mistake, by God, it was going to be this kind of mistake because I could live with this kind of mistake. Speaking of. I can live with it. If I'm going to make a mistake, this is the kind of mistake that I feel okay about. What kind of mistakes are you okay with in your life? What kind of mistakes are you just good with? You know that's a mistake, but you really don't feel like it's as bad as that guy's mistake. You don't feel like it's as bad as the pastor's mistakes that they make. So you're just okay with it. Perhaps you should learn how to shake off the dust in this area so that you can actually thrive in what God has for you. Amen. Take a look at the next slide. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. 
Matthew chapter 10. This is the first cognate in the Newer Testament that gets us to the same word for shake it off. To shaking off the dust. Let's talk about rejection. Rejection. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 14. It says this. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. This is part of a a passage of Scripture that leads us into what we do in ministry and what we do in missions. This is the type of passage, right? This is a passage here talking about finding a man of peace. This process as you're going into a, a town, you're, you're trying to find out what the gospel's all about. You're trying to make inroads into a place. Look what it says. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home. <laughs> you're, you're giving it a go. You're giving it a try. You're working at this. You're working at this. You're working at this. You know what happens? What this is saying is you shake the dust off your feet because they're not worthy for what you just brought to them. When we don't listen to the word of the Lord, we stand in danger of the Lord shaking us off of him and us falling because this is something precious. (laughs) This is precious. I'm not going to beg somebody to come to this church. I, I like you guys. I ask a ton of people. How many people uh, do you think, like out of every ten people that I ask to come to this church, nine of them like, oh, yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming. Right now, you're, you're starting in one hour. I'll be there. Do you know how many of them come? <laughs> one out of a hundred. Do you know how many stay? <laughs> one out of a thousand. I don't know what the numbers are. Right? Lots of people say they will. But they prove themselves unworthy of the uniqueness that we have here. That's true. God, Pastor, you sound so arrogant. I'm not. At some point, we have to know that I'm not, we're not going to go chase people. God, what we have here is so special. You know what we found? The reason we don't advertise? Every church startup that I know, the modern day thinking is that you pick where you want to have your church by the zip codes and by what you think. You do a zip code search I wish I was making this up. Let's do a zip code search. You think you got a general area. Let's do a zip code search. So, you know, you kind of know what level of church that you want to have. Level of church? What? Oh, you mean money. You mean you're going to find the zip codes that have the kind of standard that you would like to live in as a pastor and go there. Unless you're trying to find the poorest zip codes that you can find and go start a work there. How in the world does zip codes matter? How, how is that at all God's plan? We have to be able to shake off the dust and move forward in what God has called us to do. We have to, give, we have, to have both things in mind. I will give my all to this person. I haven't decided that I'm going to shake the dust off beforehand. I'm going to actually present the full gospel. I'm going to wrestle with them. I'm going, to, I'm going to give them everything they have because I can't always tell which ones will actually accept it and actually come through and which ones are going to do something and, and then flame out. I, I, I can't always tell from people. So I'm going to give it an honest, 
an honest try, but you know what? This rejection, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting my Lord. And fine. If you're going to reject Him, I don't want to have anything to do with you anyway. One of the reasons that we left, the last place that I was, the last place that we lived, I came to the realization that the people didn't want my wife as much as they wanted me. I'm a little slow sometimes. Had I known that it sooner, it would have been gone sooner. When I realized that they wanted me and my, I have certain skills. <laughs> they wanted that more than they wanted my wife to be with me to function as a team. I was done. When that realization sank in, if you, don't want my, if you don't want to be a part of my wife, if you don't want her to be a part of your life, then you don't want me either. I love you. If you don't want my wife, if you don't want the Sutherland kids to be around, then we're just not... Oh, no, but we like you. We're a package deal, bro. If you don't like the Stevens, you don't like the Sutherlands. I don't want to have anything to do with you. If you don't like the P. Rose, we've decided that we're going to be in covenant. And just the same way I feel about my wife... If you say no to them, you're saying no to me. I don't care what our relationship is. Because this is the way that this works. How much more? Everybody say, how much more? How much more? Should we do that about the one who loves us? How much more should we be able to go, really, you don't want him? Then we have nothing to talk about. Amen? <clears throat> Turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you. <laughs> Isn't that neat that they added that in? They don't just hate you, but they exclude you. You're like, wouldn't it be much worse to be excluded? I mean, to be hated? You're like, because uh, we've all felt these things. You've been excluded. You've been insulted. You've been rejected. <laughs> Reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. That's why this church can go around and say, praise God, they spit on me. Praise God, they mocked us. They left us out of everything good. We did the work and then they reject us. Praise God. Because they did that to my Lord, and so they should be doing that to me. It makes you want to crave that kind of rejection because they rejected Him. And you go, Amen. I can shake off the dust of any personal offense that I take towards this because you did it to Jesus. You're actually rejecting Him. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how the fathers treated the prophets. Turn to chapter 9. Just flip over a few pages. Look at verse 21. 9, 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. And He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And He must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. We have to continually fight through the rejection. you just got to shake it off. If you're getting rejected for the right thing, you should leap for joy. Amen? Yeah. The next slide we have. We're shaking off the dust. 
so that we can battle the powers in the heavenly realms. We're shaking off the dust of your own strength. You're not letting that stay on you. You're shaking off the dust of the opposition that mounts in your life. And you're shaking off the dust from that opposition so that you don't become opposition for your brothers and sisters. We're shaking off the dust of rejection. And now we're also shaking off the dust from offenses. Turn to Matthew chapter 27. Chapter 27, verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. We learned Monday night at Foundation exactly what that staff is. That measuring rod. That fragrant cane that was put in his hand. And knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. The truth is, is if I read this passage and I actually give myself time to read it with the illusion of the first time. I, I cried Monday night, Pastor. You were reading this scripture, and I tears immediately welled up in my eyes when I thought about what they did to Jesus. We know the story. It's amazing to me that he could go through all this for our sake, not even his own fault. And stay completely free of offense. That's an incredible thing to me. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. And look at verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh. Not the robe that they tried to cover him with and mock him with but on the very robe of righteousness that his deeds deserve. And on his thigh he has written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know what Jesus was able to do in every way possible? He was able to shake off every dust that anyone would try to put upon him and he rose to the right place that he was supposed to be seated at. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I mentioned earlier, and when we're doing marriage counseling, we talk about how quickly can you get over things. How quickly can you get over opposition? I'm going to add to that now. How quickly can you get over offense in your life? How quickly do you get offended? And how quickly do you get over offense? I had to actually battle this this week. There was something that happened a few days ago and it wanted, I want, my flesh wanted to take offense. My feelings got hurt. It was stupid. I'm embarrassed to tell you that I even had a thought about it. But I'm telling you, it was an offense that it was a it was a potential offense that was there. You know what I did? I told my wife about it. I was like, "Hey, I'm not going to let this. I'm not going to let a macho bravado and arrogance keep me from actually conquering this thing." So I told my wife about it. I was like, "Huh, this hurt my feelings. (laughs) Crazy. I don't know why it hurt my feelings, 
It shouldn't have hurt my feelings. And it hurt my feelings. Prayed about it. The Lord gave me peace. Put it under the blood. You know what happens? was within about 24 hours. The same person that an offense was trying to get in there with, I had the greatest conversation able to pray, able to bless them, able to talk through scriptures, able to, you know what the enemy was trying to do with the offense? Yeah. It didn't plant, it didn't land, but it was like a fiery dart that came in and, oh, no, not going to let that thing stay. It was trying to get me offended so that within 24 hours, I wouldn't be able to share with an open heart, with a pure mind, with the right scriptures, with the right encouragement, the right word. It was trying to stop me from that because I was offended. How many times have you led offense? How many times have I led offense keep us from something else that God has for us? <laughs> let's just put this in, let's just make this real. Jesus was murdered and got over it in three days. Jesus was murdered and shook off the dust within three days. Perhaps that should be a, a time frame for us to, to, to keep in perspective, huh? We cannot let offense build up in our heart. We can't let fears and insecurities overwhelm us. Every time somebody says something to you, you cannot lose your marbles. You cannot lose your Christianity every time somebody corrects you. You have got to let those things go so that you can show the power of His work in your life. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Proverbs 17.9 talks about how that when we cover an offense, it promotes love. Yeah. Proverbs 18.19 says that an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. And disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. Because things are going well in our church, I can assure you what the Lord, what, I'm sorry, what the enemy wants to do to us is just what happened to me the other day. It was nothing. The enemy wants to continually fire darts to see what will land. Continually see that maybe there are things that are hinder, hinder you that are just easily. They're just an easy shot. That one shot that you can make on the basketball court, right? The one, you're like, hey, this is money. I'm going to make this 95 times out of 100. Man, I got this down. Enemy's got those things that he tries to do in us. The same pitfalls. Don't walk around with a fence. Makes you as unyielding as a fortified city. Amen. Let's go on to the next slide. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 52. <clears throat> Isaiah 52. We've got to shake off the dust of the powers so that we can battle the powers in the heavenly realms. We've got to shake off the dust of us relying in our own strength. You've got to shake off the dust for the opposition that's there before you. You've got to shake off the dust when rejection comes in your life. You've got to shake off the dust at the offenses that try to build. They can try all they want, but you are the one that keeps it from being an offense. 
And you've got to shake off the dust of your own sinful nature. Take a look at Isaiah 52 and starting in verse 1. It says this, Awake, awake, O Zion. And the Bible says something twice. You're supposed to pay attention to it. Same word repeated like this. Awake, awake, O Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. <laughs> Have your deeds Shown by strength. Put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughters of Zion. You know what? The word that we've been looking at has been 5287. Na'ah. It's a noon, it's an in. And it's a resh. A noon, ayin, and resh. <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? you got to shake off the dust. You have to continually shake off the dust. If you're like me, if you're not careful, the, the last thing that happens becomes the most important thing. It's just by the most recent thing. It just gets to the top of your, of your inbox, and so it sits there and you forget things that may be more important, but further down the list. You know what this word is trying to say? To shake off? Let's take a look at the next slide here. Your, your paleo for the evening. Paleo for shake it off, for shake off as it's found in Isaiah 52 2. It's a little small. Now, this word specifically in this passage, that root word you can still see there is noon, in, resh. It's in there, but we also have, now we have two letters as a prefix and one letter as a suffix. Does everybody see what I'm talking about? Okay. So the letters are a hey, a tov, a noon, an ayin, a resh, and a yod. I wanted you to see what this says. The next slide. So what this is, when we're trying to learn how to shake off the dust from our life, when we can shake off things around us. It's the revelation of the cross. We've got to shake things off. You know why? Because we've got to keep coming back to the revelation of the cross that causes us to continue to know, to watch and know the first or the primary work that's going on in our lives. The revelation of the cross that causes us to continue to know the first work. What happens when you don't shake things off is you get distracted. You start forgetting the primary work of your life. Why do we as a church encourage everyone about their mezuzah statement? Because we're trying to say, shake off everything else. Go back to this core thing. Go back to the simplicity of learning the Word and getting in the Spirit and praying before the Lord. Yeah, but that's what you learn in Sunday school when you're five. Yes, and it's still correct. Get back to the first work. If you haven't been doing it, get back to the first work. You know what you do when you keep getting back to the first work? You're showing that you're shaking everything else off. That there's nothing of this world that's going to stand on you. You're going to shake it off and it's going to be show that you have an actual revelation of what Jesus Christ has done. You have an actual understanding that the heavens have illuminated to your heart that will cause you to continue in the work that you're supposed to do. Am I the only one that's ever been distracted in your, in your life before? No. We're coming up on a new year, and it's a time when many people do their resolutions. 
You know, the average person lasts like less than a week doing their resolutions, right? I don't care. I'm not against resolutions. What I'm trying to say is our resolutions should always be the same thing. We're going back to the primary work. We're going back to do exactly what God has told us to do because we're going to start shaking off things. It's a good time for even our, our society to consider, hey, the things that we were supposed to be doing, yeah, we've kind of drifted from. We're not going to let that drift happen. We're going to shake off. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to shake off the dust. Everybody say, shake off the dust. And sometimes it's the more that you're doing, the more easily susceptible you are to the dust. You're actually out there doing something. You're, you're, you're making pathways. You're going out there. You're going to get have dust on you. That's not the question. That's not the question. Is whether you're going to shake off the dust and move on on the primary work or not. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's look at verse 47. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven. Look down at verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. Listen, a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that we're covered with the very substance that we were created with? We're we're covered with with the dust of the earth. We're, We're covered... What, what was the serpent punished by? He was punished by being on his belly and he had to eat the dust of the earth. When you don't get the dust off of you, you're covered in serpent food. Doesn't sound very appetizing, does it? You're covered in it. You've, that same... <laughs> The thing that doesn't have the breath of God's Spirit in it. You want to be covered with that? That's not what we want to be covered with. We found that the first man was made from the dust of the earth, but the second from heaven itself. We're seeing the dust and the revelation come, the breath of God. We've been talking all night about how to shake off the dust. Everybody say, shake off the dust. Shake off the dust. If nothing else tonight, you should go home thinking, shake off the dust. Don't let things settle on you like that. Just the fact that it's on there, you don't even have to worry about that. You don't have to feel guilty. Just shake it off. Sometimes we get far too worried about the wrong thing. If you're sitting there trying to figure out how the dust got on you, just shake it off. Good grief. Don't even waste time. Move on with what the Lord has for you. I love those verses in the Old Testament that say, why are you complaining to me? The Lord is looking at His people and saying, just move forward. Go. Shake this stuff off and do something for the Lord. I have uh, something that I want to share from you from the Pirkei Avot. The ethics of the fathers. Don't, don't put the slide up just yet. We've been talking about how to shake things off. We're, we're going to get ready and we're going to do communion here in just a few minutes. There are many things. 
The truth is, is most things around us, we should just learn how to shake off. But in the Pirkei Avot, the ethics of the fathers, there's actually something that we're supposed to leave on us. In chapter 1, number 4, Yossi ben Yoser. That's a fun name. Everybody say Yossi. Yossi. Ben. Ben. Yoser. Yoser. That's fun. All you scholars, right? This is the only kind of dust that we're supposed to leave on us. Every other kind of dust should be removed. It says this. Yossi ben Yoser and Yossi ben Yohagen of Jerusalem received the Torah from them. Yossi ben Yoser said, Let your house be a meeting house for the sages and sit amid the dust of their feet and drink in their words with thirst. You know, the only thing that, our, <laughs> that the, the fathers of the faithful said that we should allow is when we are in a meeting house of the sages and sit amid the dust of their feet. We know that this was a, a, a traditional rabbinic teaching that wherever the rabbi was going, you should be close enough to your rabbi that his dust covered you. Can you imagine walking down the road? Someone's far enough in a dusty region and you see kind of a, just the normal cloud that would be as you're walking along. And it's not until they get very, very close that you can even see that it's any more than one person that's standing there. You realize that someone is following so closely behind that from a distance you couldn't see that it was two separate people. We talk about discipleship a lot in this church and we understand this concept. I want us to look at tonight as we get ready to take communion. This should be your heart for Jesus as your rabbi. That wherever he walks, wherever he leads, you are so closely following behind what Jesus says that you're willing to disgrace yourself by being covered. You're willing to disgrace yourself by being covered with his dust. That was the idea. They were all supposed to shake off the dust too, but you were saying, I am so humbled because I know that there's divine revelation that's coming. I'm willing to make myself look like a fool. I'm willing to put myself in harm's way. I'm willing to take the secondary position, the, the tertiary position. I'm willing to get as low as I can get, covered with that which is offensive to everyone so that I may get the divine revelation from the heavens. My first mission trip, that I, or second mission trip that I ever took was to Jamaica. Uh, climbing a waterfall. Had a little child that we were helping up, just a random kid. As we were walking, hey, put your feet right where our feet are. And we couldn't even get our foot all the way off of the rock before his foot was right underneath. And then we'd step. The waterfalls are cascading down. We'd step somewhere else and get a sure footing. And as we lifted a foot, as I lifted a foot, awkwardly put his foot right under there. That's the best example that I've ever had in my life of what I'm trying to do with Jesus. Lord, if, if I see that your foot is lifting, I presume because that's, that's exactly where my foot should go. And I don't want to miss what he's saying to me. Would you stand to your feet?
as we get ready for communion. Thank you, Julia. Communion tonight is going to be a symbol. It's going to be a sign. Lord, we're going to shake off the dust in every other area of our life. We're going to shake it off. We're not going to let it stand upon us. We're going to wipe it off, except where it comes to how you're leading our lives. And then we want to be covered in it. Amen. We want to be covered wherever you are, mighty God, because we value the heavenly, the divine that you're going to present into our lives.